Hey, I'm Justin Wynn. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mojo DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Lieber Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fortaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comics Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 68. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... This is Donovan. And this is Joe. We are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of May 8th through May 21st. We have a total of nine books to cover and a very small amount of news to go over. So let's get right into comic news. All right, so the first thing we have is not really news related to what we can expect in the comics in the future, but uh, the weekend of May 7th and 8th, an auction was held by Heritage Auctions, and they actually auctioned off a page from The Dark Knight Returns, number three, and it ended up selling for $448,000. Wow. Who thought that art could ever sell that much? Now, this page is specifically Batman with Kerry Kelly above the uh, Gotham City skyline, but holy cow, that is a lot of money. Oh, yes, <laughs> definitely. Although, I suppose people who have, who have their priorities in order kind of find this sort of an offensive uh, sign of just spending money away. I think it's pretty cool, though, to be honest. I like, that's probably my favorite shot of the entire Dark Knight Returns storyline or miniseries. And um, I just think it goes to show how iconic and how influential that series was. So um, while it's definitely a lot of money, I, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Was that page even inked to anything, or was it just pencils? I think it may have been inked, just because based on the uh, the skyline, it had didn't seem like the skyline would have looked like that if it wasn't inked. But the, the actual characters themselves didn't seem like they were. Yeah, I mean, that is a really iconic like page in the book. But, I mean, that's almost just under half of what's on paid for a whole comic, wasn't it? That was Detective 27. Didn't that sell for a million dollars? Yeah, I think it was, it was more than a million, but not much more. But it definitely makes you think about how much this Batman stuff is going for nowadays. Yeah, definitely. It shows. On the one hand, it shows how much people are willing to spend in this day and age, just just when they have that sort of money. And on the other hand, it shows the value of comic books. Really rare, iconic comic books still going up. I remember like several years back how um, Action Comics number one was about, I think it was about fifteen thousand dollars. That was a long time ago, like over fifteen years ago. And now all these all these really iconic comics are quickly heading towards the million dollar mark. So the times are changing definitely. All right, and then the other bit of news is on May 16th, DC Comics released the solicitations for August 2011, which, based on previous months, it seemed like these came a little earlier than usual, but I guess they can move it up. It really doesn't make a difference. But generally in the past, they haven't really come out to the second to last week of, of the month, and this came out the last, uh, you know, the second week into the month. So anyway, with that being said, there's a bunch of stuff that's going on with the solicitations in August, so let's uh, go through some of the highlights. Uh, we will be seeing another 80-page giant uh, with a cover by Dustin Wen, 
the creators writing and drawing in the issue were not named specifically, but there's plenty of time between now and then for them to name some of them off. This will probably end up being a number of different short stories, as what we've seen in the past with the age specials. The remaining retroactive one-shots are both released in August. This would be the retroactive for the 80s and the 90s. Both of those are solicited for August as of right now. Moving into some of the creator changes, Chris Burnham will be back on Batman Incorporated for issue number 10. Batman and Robin will be getting yet another creative team with Judd Winnick leaving the book. This time the writer will be David Hine with artist Greg Tocchini. Uh, Fabian Siza writes both Red Robin and Batman in August. Batman the Dark Knight sees a new artist added to the series with Jay Fabic. And Batman Beyond has Chris Batista and Rich Perota handling the art. Fabian on Batman sounds pretty exciting to me. I'm pretty stoked for that, to be honest. I'm so digging Fabian's viewpoint of Gotham City and the characters in there, so that's what I'm most looking forward to. I suppose I'm quite looking forward to the a new creative team on um, Batman and Robin, because after the first issue of this, it's been a bit of a letdown, I think. I don't know, is it Tuccini, the artist? I haven't seen any of his work, but I know we're going to see it in is it issue 29, I think, of Batman and Robin, so I'll look out for it then and see what I think. But uh, other than that, it's, it's probably quite good that David Finch has got a uh, backup artist. I'm not sure if it's going to speed up the book at all or not, but we'll have to see. That's the one thing that kind of caught my eye when I was going over the solicitations was that Batman the Dark Knight gets the new artist. And despite the fact that, you know, what I said in the last episode when we were talking about trimming the bat line, with, you know, if, if DC hires an exclusive artist, they should be doing the art. I still stand by that statement. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that DC should just say, hey, if you're going to do this book, you're only going to do the art, you're not going to do the writing. Get a co-writer or something like that if they wanted to go with that approach. But I guess... Fabic is, is actually a student of Finch and has a very similar style, so we may not even notice the difference, although I, I find that hard to believe. Alright, then as, as far as the stories go, Batman Beyond will be seeing Ink return to the pages of the comic. Red Robin deals with Captain Boomerang's return from the grave. Detective Comics wraps up Scott Snyder's current story. In Batman Robin, the title characters head to France to team up with Nightrunner. Also, we see the final issues of Arkham City, Flashpoint, Batman Night of Vengeance, and Batman Gates of Gotham are all set to release in August. And then Young Justice and the all-new Batman Brave and the Bold will also have new issues. Uh, Batman Universe characters are also set to appear in Teen Titans, Justice League of America, Secret Six, and Green Lantern Emerald Warriors. Tons of stuff going on in August. Yeah, a lot of stuff ending, a lot of stuff beginning. I'm glad that they're going to give this Nightrunner guy more public spotlight in these books, especially something like Batman and Robin, because I know he's been introduced, but it's one of those cases where I was worried that we weren't going to see too much of him after he was introduced, so I'm glad that they're establishing him as a definite character. That's sort of like what I am happy to see not happen, just him kind of like trailing off into a background character. I was afraid for that for a while, because it's been a while since he's been introduced. Well, we did see him in Batman Inc. number 6, which we'll talk about a little later. But Right. But the interesting thing about that is that uh, David Hine, who actually brought the Nightrunner story in the Detective and Batman annuals, is writing the story. So I don't find that to be a coincidence either. Wondering what's going to happen with Detective Comics, because there's been lots of things about him just saying it's the end of his story arc, the Black Mirror arc. But then um, 
you know, it's been very vague if that if it's just finishing that and then he's leaving detective for a while or if he's gonna then carry on doing more things after that. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens there. Yeah, there's definitely some rumbling on the horizon as far as what's going to be happening in September. If you check out the website, we're going to have an article being posted up very shortly dealing with what could possibly be happening because Flashpoint ends in August. There's some rumors that DC could be renumbering a bunch of different series. They could be changing up all kinds of things all over the DC universe. Obviously, we're not going to know until probably sometime next month, specifically because the solicitations come out three months ahead of time. So we'll probably find something out next month. I don't think we're going to be waiting till September to find out, or even Comic-Con for that matter. I think it's going to be something we're going to find out next month. And in addition to that, I also think that if they do announce the solicitations, but we don't know what's going to be happening in the DC Universe afterwards, I think it's going to be very vague descriptions with just creators attached to projects, and that's going to be it. I can't see... DC renumbering anything like Detective or especially Action, which is the longest running series, isn't it? So I think these are all just rumors. You know, it really just comes down to how is Flashpoint going to actually affect the DC universe, and as of right now, we don't know. And because Flashpoint ends in August, we could assume that it has something to do with Flashpoint coming to a conclusion, but for now, we'll have to wait and see. The other thing is. With a um, series like Gates of Gotham, which is supposed to be tying directly into the Batman universe, then Flashpoint can't really have that much of an effect if, if that's going to then be sort of leading the way for the Batman universe. And with like um, writers like Brian Q. Miller, we've heard in the past about his two-year plan, so unless you knew about this from the start, then... I definitely think a lot of these writers, they have a specific plan, they have a direction they want to go. I think I mentioned this on the forums, if Flashpoint has an effect on the DC Universe, it's probably going to be some continuity cleanup, and we're going to see like some minor changes similar to what we saw in Zero Hour, where we had some minor different things get fixed, so that they weren't these overall errors in continuity, and that's probably what it'll end up being. If not, maybe we'll see a bunch of the new characters that have sprouted over the last two years just get murdered. Here's hoping for Catgirl. All right, so that is all of the comic news. Not very much, but uh, we do obviously have tons of books. So let's get into our very first book, which is Batman Arkham City number one. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Arkham City, issue one, written by Paul Dini, with art by Carlos de Arna. I'd just like to say, I've got the game. I never finished it, because I'm not good with games. So this completely spoiled the ending for me, because I was slowly working my way through it. But anyway, the issue opens up where Arkham Asylum finished with Batman defeating the Doomsday Joker. And then we see the Joker back in Arkham six months later, back to normal size, but apparently very sick as the Tyson formula poisoned him. We then cut to Mayor Sharp, former warden of Arkham, preparing for a TV interview and talking to his psychiatrist. Sharp vows to make Gotham a safer place by outlawing all costumed villains, as well as heroes. We um, 
cut to the GCPD headquarters where Gordon is warning Batman about Terry and Tracy Task, a titan formula abusing duo who formerly worked for Two-Face. Batman finds Two-Face in an old hideout and questions him about the duo, and it turns out they did work for him, but started taking the titan formula that they were supposed to be guarding. They slaughtered half of his gang and then went out to try and control the city. So they plan to attack Gotham at the dedication ceremony at the new city hall. That night at the ceremony, TNT tried to kill the mayor, but Batman intervenes, stopping the duo, but not before they blow themselves up, destroying the new city hall and killing 300 civilians. During the fight, however, Batman realises that the duo were instructed by somebody. He realises that the same person is manipulating the mayor, as Sharp announces Gotham City is a war zone and creates Arkham City to be continued. Alright, Batman Arkham City number one. Now, obviously this issue is the first issue in the miniseries that's supposed to tie the events of Batman Arkham Asylum, the video game, and Batman Arkham City, the video game, which is set to come out later this year in October. First issue, yes, as Joe clearly pointed out, it does uh, give away the ending of Arkham Asylum if you didn't uh, finish the game, but then again, that's what the point of this, this series is. It's supposed to link the events from one game to the other, so kind of have to go into it thinking to yourself, well, this is uh, going to give me the conclusion of the previous game. First issue I thought was uh, pretty good. We saw some very common Paul Dini type things. He introduced another set of characters for the first time, the the twins. It's, it's very cliche just because obviously a pair of twins would work perfectly with Two-Face and in addition to that, obviously, because they're a new set of characters, he can also get rid of them very quick by killing them, which we don't see very often from Paul Dini. It is interesting to try to figure out exactly how this is going to end up being five issues, since within the first issue we've seen the whole idea of how Arkham City comes to be happen. So now I guess we're going to lead into possibly... The creation of it, maybe, maybe even... It's hard to say exactly what's going to be coming next. We know that Arkham City will be created. I'm sure we'll be seeing some of the gang elements inside of Arkham City mature. But it's very hard to tell exactly how this is going to last five issues. Being that it's from Paul Dini, I would say we can expect some delays. But this book can't afford delays because it needs to come out before the game does to make it worthwhile. So... Overall, I think this was an okay first issue. Nothing to write home about, but it does have me interested to see what happens in the following issues. So I'm going to give this three and a half out of five batterings. I quite enjoyed this issue. Now, I too have the game, but not have beaten it yet. I actually got it pretty recently. But um, the ending spoil didn't really matter to me. I was going to find out sooner or later because it's the internet. But um, I really enjoyed this issue. This is a Paulini I really like, the one that we weren't seeing in Streets of Gotham. He was sort of like really padding the story out, I thought. He's, he's telling a pretty good story here. I like how all the characterizations are spot on. Batman, Joker, Two-Face, Harley. I really thought it was, just, it was just fun to see him write those characters again in this way. It wasn't overtly complicated. It was just simple to the point. It's a very simple story. I like the fight with the two twins, TNT. And I like the art. I like, the art's a little bit cartoony, but it's kind of up my alley. It's, it's just good enough for me to, for it to work. Not much else to say, but it was a very simple story that I thought was proved effective for a first part of a five-part miniseries, so I'm going to give this four out of five better ranks. Yeah, this was better than I was expecting, actually. I ended up really liking the art. 
and I recognised it from in Arkham Asylum. You know the um, when you the character bios. I think he did the art for those. Yes, he did. So um, yeah, I ended up really liking the art, and I thought the story was really well paced because it's quite fast, and especially compared to like Don said, the streets of Gotham. And um, yeah, we got some typical Paul Dini things which I really loved, and I'm interested to see what this series will do in developing sort of um, from this and and uh, bridging the gap between the two games. But having said that, this was a very one-in-done story, I thought, with because, you know, we introduced these two people and then they just get killed. So from that, it doesn't really develop anything. And the only sort of overarching storyline so far is this psychiatrist sort of unknown person who we obviously know is going to be Hugo Strange. So I don't really know what to expect from this. Like, the only thing I did think was a bit weird on an artistic choice was why Arkham didn't have padded cells and why Harley was wearing makeup. But other than that, yeah, I thought it was good. I'm looking forward to seeing where this where this goes and what exactly it's going to do to bridge the gap. And I think we'll probably see the introduction of people like Penguin and stuff as well in this because we know he's going to be in the game now. So I'll give this three out of five batterings. All right, and over on the website we had two reviews, one by our former co-host, Zach, who gave it four out of five batterings and John from the normal cast also reviewed it and he also gave it four out of five batterings so that is going to give the Batman Arkham City number one four out of five batterings so let's move into our next book Batgirl number 21 written by Brian Q. Miller art by Dustin Wen. Ah, the fuse has gone out <laughs> that's right Joker it's out the automatic fuse extinguisher in my Batgirl utility belt will forever keep you from putting me into orbit. So we start off with a little bit of a back history about Clancy Johnson, a.k.a. the Grey Ghost. We find out that Batgirl is basically in a battle with this new Reaper, Harmony. And the entire time, Batgirl's trying to figure out exactly what Harmony's after. And as it turns out, she's trying to get some DNA from a corpse of a nun. Meanwhile, on the on a rooftop in Gotham, Wendy Harris is having a hallucination of her brother Marvin Harris, and they're trying to figure out exactly how to mend her spirit. We then cut back to Batgirl, who finds Grey Ghost and basically tells him, listen, you need to stay out of this because I don't want you to get hurt. Then cut back to Wendy Harris, who has gone to Leslie Tompkins to find out a little bit more about her injury, and she says to her, you know, maybe it's time for you to take a trip. When was the last time you had your passport renewed? We then cut back to the fight between Batgirl and Harmony, where Batgirl has figured out a way to take Harmony's uh, gloves, which emit sound waves, out of the equation and easily takes her out in hand-to-hand combat. We then cut to a diner in Gotham City where Barbara Gordon is talking with Wendy Harris, and Wendy Harris explains to Barbara that she wants to go to Nanda Parabat. After Oracle essentially approves, Wendy Harris says thank you, and we then cut to Gotham University, where we see where we see Stephanie Brown giving Barbara Gordon kind of the rundown what's exactly going on. Tells her, you know, that she's kind of got this under control. She's gonna have Proxy run some information and try to figure some things out. Then that's when Oracle says that uh, she's essentially not going to be around for a little while. 
We then see Batgirl in the uh, firewall, and she says to herself, I guess she'll have to work at this alone. We then cut to Clancy Johnson, who has approached the Reapers, and says, uh, don't hurt Batgirl, I'll keep her out of your way, just don't hurt her. And they say, well, we'll see what we can do. And we see the last page has the three last Reapers, one actually looking like the Grim Reaper, and then two other ones which show their names as Miranda and Figment. And that is the end of Batgirl number 21. All right, so Batgirl 21. This uh, this was quite interesting because the, yes, uh, the solicitation did state that Dustin Wynn was going to be doing the art, but for some reason the cover says Pierre Perez, even though Pierre Perez didn't actually have anything to do with this issue. Um, the cover was also done by Dustin Wynn, so Pierre Perez's input on this issue, I have I have no knowledge of how exactly that came to be. Um, this was interesting. I think uh, the character Harmony got taken out a little bit quicker than than I expected, especially since we saw Slipstream in so many issues in the past. I thought this was going to get carried out a little bit longer, but I guess uh, all things are headed towards trying to wrap up this Reaper storyline in the coming months. It is interesting that Grey Ghost has approached the Reapers. Somehow he figured out exactly how to find the Reapers and make a deal with them. I find that interesting. Wendy Harris, I think it's a it's a nice idea for her to try to get her spirit mended, as they're calling it, because uh, the one thing I don't like about the character is how she's always got like this really bad attitude, and I think if going overseas and getting herself mended per se is what it takes to get her not to having a bad attitude, then I'm all for it. This issue was very simple, very fast paced. But it moved the story along, and I like seeing stuff like that. So, uh, four out of five batterings. I was really, really impressed with this issue. Batgirl has been so consistent, and this goes to show that it's not slowed down at all. I think the only the only thing I have a problem with is like I don't know why they get they get the cover credits wrong. I mean, it's always with this book whether Dustin wins on the book or not. They always seem to get it wrong. And true, he's was solicited, but they can just put his name on the credit. They have to credit somebody else. I mean. That's, that's really, really bad. I've never seen such a stumble like that. But besides that, um, I thought the fight with Batgirl and Harmony was really, really cool, especially the title page where Batgirl tells you what a pain in the butt she is. Although I will say that Harmony's powers, especially during the end, are almost exactly like Shriek's powers from Batman Beyond. Like literally near the end when the sound goes off and you can't hear what they're saying, directly taken from the first appearance episode of Shriek in the Batman Beyond cartoon, which I, I really didn't notice until very, very recently, days after I bought the issue. But I'm, I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing, because it's a cool power. I liked how they were writing Wendy in this issue. I agree with Justin. She's always very annoying. She always has this sort of, like, smarmy attitude on everything. So I'm, I'm glad that they're controlling it, and she's actually going to get some help for herself and her uh, spirit. And I, and I like the whole moments with her uh, ghost brother, Marvin. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to remember his name. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. And the ending really, really, really surprised me. I did not see that coming, and I thought that was a great twist um, that would elevate the, the great ghost character to something worth uh, paying attention about. So overall, I was I was nothing but impressed with this issue. Four and a half out of five better ranks. Yeah, I haven't really got much to add. Like everyone else, I saw the cover and saw Pear Perez and then opened up to find Dustin Wen's art and thought, oh, this is good. Is it? Oh wait, no, it is Dustin Wynn. 
but obviously I didn't mind because Dustin Wen is a much better artist. <laughs> but um, I'm really starting to see Stephanie's annoyance with the Grey Ghost in the issue. I think that's coming across really well. So, um, and also, I'm really interested, interested to see now if he's going to double-cross her or what's going on now with the Reaper. So, like Don said, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. And it, it's elevated him from just sort of comic relief to to something, you know, maybe more sinister. And um, I'd also like to see Wendy Harris walk. Just because everyone's always comparing her to a kind of new oracle or like an oracle with an attitude. So if you can start to dif- like differ her from that, like even if it's just by making her walk, I think that's going to be a good thing. But um, yeah, I like the pacing of the issue as well. It's good that it's not too drawn out and, because uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. So um, I'll give this four out of five batterings. All right, so that is going to give Batgirl number 21 four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue which is Batman number 710. Batman number 710, written by Tony Daniel, and illustrated by not Tony Daniel, but Steve Scott. This issue starts off upside down with Two-Face beating the living crud out of one of his um, henchmen, demanding to know where his coin is. After some violence, he just shoots the guy in the face and walks off. Two-Face is becoming really, really unhinged because he can't find his coin to the point where his decisions are just made on impulse, really, to the point where he shoots a cop right in the middle of the street in front of a bunch of witnesses. Batman and the Gotham City Police Department are hot on his tail, tracking the murders and trying to find out what exactly he's after, not not really realizing the, the effect the coin is having on his psyche. But as they're discussing that, a congressman by the name of Dean Scape is talking about how the citizens of Gotham need to take their city back and how he's going to change the city with outlawing vigilantes. And really, this has all been heard before, but Batman's not in, not in any mood to entertain him, refusing any uh, interviews. We cut to the home of Mario Falcone and how he's upset that he thinks Two-Face is challenging him right in front of everybody. So he talks to a mysterious woman in silhouettes that she wants to handle Two-Face. But he says that he'll get one of his henchmen named Dopey to see what, what Dent's up to. We also cut to uh, Gotham County hideout where Katrina Falcone, a.k.a. Catgirl, is watching TV all by herself when Batman picks her up and tells her that he's going to put her into the Aldridge boarding school. Catgirl is obviously very, she's not very responsive to that idea, obviously, but Catwoman backs Batman up saying that it's probably the right thing to do, even though she herself is not very confident of it. Two-Face wakes up in this uh, sleazy motel hideaway with the sound of a phone and a gun and a note and a picture of someone holding his coin, leading him to the uh, a ringing phone booth. He sees what he thinks is somebody drawing a gun on him. As he shoots the assailant, he sees that it's, it's um, Dopey, Mario Falcone's um, henchman, sent after him. Once he answers the phone, the phone booth is rigged with gas, which knocks him out. But before we find out what happens to him, we cut to Gotham's west side where we see... Damon's Dive, which is a uh, local bar full of bad guys. Batman breaks in, and Dick reminisces on how he first broke into that, broke through that window, the exact same window when he was 12 years old as Robin, and pretty much thinks about how he um, fought alongside the same bad guys he's fighting right now as he demands to know where Two-Face is from a thug named Diamond Jack. We find out where Two-Face is once he wakes up to Mario Falcone, holding his double-sided coin and basically kicking the crap out of him. When Two-Face demands what's going on, 
Falcone brings in a woman in a uh, very fancy dress, pearl necklace, and um, widow's hat. She shoots him, says, happy anniversary, Harvey, Harvey, and that they did. she did it for us, quote-unquote, with Mario Falcone saying, you're the best Gilda. Next, has Gilda Dent returned? All right, Batman 710. A couple of interesting things. The first thing is, I thought this was in my opinion, a lot better uh, story from Tony Dent than what we've seen in previous months. On top of that, I also have to say I I do like Steve Scott's art more so than Tony Daniels' art. There's something about it that, to me, comes across as a little bit more based in the realistic sense. I don't even know how to really describe it. it. It's very similar art styles, but I, for some reason, I don't know what it is, but I just, I'm finding myself liking Steve Scott's art a little bit more than Tony Daniels' art recently, at least. The Gilda Dent reveal, it was one of those things where you either, it was either one of two situations. You either told yourself, well, of course it had to be Gilda Dent. Who else could have been a female that could have been screwing with Harvey Dent like this? Or you thought to yourself when it was revealed, huh, uh, why didn't I think about that? With Gilda Dent, the reveal, it was, to me, one of those situations where it was, well, who else could have been screwing with Harvey Dent like this? And who else would really have a purpose to screw with Harvey Dent like this? Whether or not it actually turns out to actually be Gilda Dent, we'll, we'll figure out. It is interesting to note that uh, we haven't really seen Gilda Dent for really quite some time. Obviously, she played a pretty big role in Dark Victory and in The Long Halloween, but ever since those series, she really hasn't appeared. Back in Batman The No Man's Land, uh, the novelization form by Greg Rucka, it said that she died, but we never knew anything about it other than it was just referenced that she had died. And then at Batman Face to Face, during one year later, we do know that Dent mentions Gilda when talking about his previous life. But uh, Two-Face clearly states to, to Harvey, no, Harvey, she's gone now. So who knows exactly where she's been, if she's dead, if she's not dead. She hasn't really been addressed properly since uh, Tim Sale and Jeff Loeb's Dark Victory. So... um. I'm intrigued to see where this is going. I'm also trying to figure out uh, why Mario Falcone has become the person he has. But that's that's a, a different discussion for a different day. So with this issue, again, I'm going to give this uh, four out of five batterings as well. I'm very conflicted, <laughs> just like Harvey did. I, I like the majority of this issue. I thought it was very straight well told. Um, I thought it was, you know, easy to follow, which a lot of the Bat books have not been lately. And I thought the art was pretty solid. I actually liked uh, Steve Scott's artwork once the action sequences started up. I thought they were a little too static and sort of plain when normal stuff was going on. But when, like, when Batman was fighting in the bar, I thought that was really cool looking. I will say that I thought this book was a little too overtly violent. And I'm not sure if if I've read books that were this violent that I didn't mind before. But I thought it was really, really, like... Not over the top violent, but excessively violent. Like you see, like Stupid shoots people in the head, like point blank on the page, like like three times in this book, and it's pretty much uncut. And um, oh, it's not like blood and guts spewing onto the page, but I mean, not too much is left for the imagination. Where I think that I'm not sure if if that's something that should be uh, done in a mainstream flagship DC comic title. I just wish that was done a little more tastefully than what it was uh, portrayed as. 
but that's if not I a... could, if I could uh, just chime in with that, that that also reminds me of something that I saw recently or saw in Batgirl that I forgot to bring up as well. The very first page it talks about her kicking ass or something like that. Yeah, and you know we didn't see words like ass or damn or other things like that very frequently in books. Oh, and um, in the Birds of Prey issue 12, Huntresses. Yep. <laughs> what was that about again? <laughs> you know, it, it, I'm almost positive now that, it, well, it's been quite some time since DC denounced the Comics Authority and said that they're, they're going to go by their own rating system. But ever since they introduced their rating system, I've been saying, I've said this in the past when we're reviewing Batgirl, it seems as if they're throwing words in there just to make it more mature than without the words. And in this book, it's the same thing. Yeah, I, I thought about that too. I just I didn't think about it when I was doing my review recap until Don mentioned it. But uh, that's definitely something that that I'm almost positive has something to do with this rating system where they're trying to appeal to a, a little bit older of an audience and make sure that these books are designed not to, you know distinctly not designed for children. These books are designed for teenagers and above. And with the killings in this and the, and the swears and some of these other books, it's just interesting how that small little T on the front of the cover changes things so easily. Yeah, I was about to say, because all of these books are rated teen, and so you can't really say that they're not being truthful to the content. But at the same time, like like this book that we're talking about right now is Batman. That's this is the Batman comic book that's been around for decades and decades and decades. Like when kids wanted to read Batman, people would tell them to read Batman. Like this book, they're, they're not going to read Red Robin or Batman Incorporated or anything else. They want to read like something that just says Batman. So on the one hand, DC's not really to blame because they are not hiding away what content is in the book due to the rating system. On the other hand, you wonder if this rating system. You wouldn't if like they really should allow the sort of content in a Batman book. I'm not, and then we're not. None of us are saying that they should dumb it down or make it, make it, uh, you know, stupid or anything for kids. But just make it a little, a little less intense. I think. I mean, obviously, we're all adults; we can handle it. But, I mean, the fact that this is on the mainstream Batman book and Batgirl as well, because Batgirl is also uh, accessible to kids or should be. It's it's just it's it kind of it's sort of uh, disconcerting to see a lot of that in there. Um, but anyway. <laughs> now, okay, Gilda Dent. I, I, really, I don't like this this reveal at the end. I'm not saying it was a bad reveal, but Tony Daniel he clearly has a love for the uh, Jeff Loeb stories of Batman. That's the whole reason why I would imagine he brought back Mario Falcone because, to my knowledge, Mario Falcone has only appeared in Dark Victory. But he, like, first of all, with Mario Falcone. I don't remember if you guys talked about this once Tony Daniel first came on the title back in those days of the, the, the podcast, but he's a completely different character. In Dark Victory, he didn't want to be part of his family's mob crime legacy, and in this one, he's embracing it for... I'm not sure what the reason was why he, he just totally had to change his face. So it's along the same lines when Gilda's brought back. She's like this seemingly psychopathic person. Okay, granted, it was heavily implied, inferred, and left to the readers to assume that she was the holiday killer in Long Halloween. The thing about that is, I'm not sure if I like the fact that it's just out and out shown that she's evil here. Because in that book, it was sort of, you were, it didn't give you all the answers in the best way possible. It didn't tell you 
it, it, it didn't like hold your hand and tell you. It was just sort of left up for interpretation, which in my opinion made for a better story. With this one, she's an out-and-out black-and-white villain, and that's just too easy to me. That's just too pat. And I really think that's lazy storytelling, to be honest. I mean, the issue was... This is a good issue as far as just plain writing goes, but the fact this is another one that kind of goes back to history. But personally, I just don't know if I like this Gilda Dent reveal. And the way they're playing it, I'm sure it's going to be revealed that she's psychopathic and she's just as crazy as Harvey. And they're made for each other because they're nuts and everything. But that just seems too easy for me. And I think that kind of dampens a lot what Long Halloween set up. Overall, I like this issue, but I had personal problems with it. But I will give it a three and a half out of five batterings. I've, uh, I was convinced that Long Halloween wasn't in continuity. Is it, or is it just one of these stories that's, that doesn't really add much? Well, that's supposed to be it's like... one of the debatable yeah. things. I, I thought that like like the like the 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 stamp down DC Comics continuity origin of Two Face was Long Halloween and the origin of Robin was Dark Victory. That's what I, that's what I thought. That's what I always thought too. But there are some things out there where because they're you know they they have left things unconcluded in them, it's made to believe. Well, is this really true or not? And there are some obvious things that have been you know not addressed you know, in continuity further along as to events that occurred during those series as well. Yeah, I like the art, and it was similar to Daniel's, but I think it's a bit smoother and not quite as line-heavy, which um, might be where that bit more realism comes into it. It's not quite sketchy, but uh, I liked it. Although sometimes Batman looked way too big, like his chest was massive, and then went into this tiny waist. I thought that was a bit odd. And his arms just kind of hang loosely off the edge. But uh, I like the story. I like where it's going. Um, I was kind of in the middle of what Dustin was saying. As in, I didn't expect Guild Event from the start, but then about halfway through, it just kind of clicked. And I was like, oh, I bet that's who it's going to be. And then it was. But I think my favourite line in the whole comic was Batman talking to Commissioner Gordon when he says, Witnesses say Two-Face shot a police officer. He might not live. But Two-Face shot this guy in the face. (laughs) And there was blood spraying out the... But that made me laugh. Probably for the wrong reasons. But I'm going to give this five bat ranks. Alright, so that is going to give Batman number 710 four out of five bat ranks. Let's move into our next book, which is Batman Incorporated number six. Oh, yeah. Written by Grant Morrison, with art by Chris Burnham. How do you figure that? The issue starts off with a little bit of a idea of what's exactly going on. We kind of get like the entire issue is kind of like a recap of events that have been occurring over the past uh, five issues, as well as some introductions of some of the newer Batman from around the world that we haven't had an entire story arc devoted to. This this happens, we, we meet Joe Average and the Average Joes, and they are a crime franchise in Pennsylvania. They're attempting to move into Gotham City, and they're trying to figure out some information. They hire a private investigator known as Nero Nikito, uh, the Night Eye, and he's basically a private investigator for the underground. And this this person decides that he's going to tell them a bunch of different things that have been going on with Bruce Wayne and Batman Incorporated. We see a little bit of a clip with Bruce Wayne uh, talking to a reporter 
basically has a publicity stunt where there's some people who show up to kind of try to take out Bruce Wayne, some henchmen per se, and Alfred takes them out very easily. But uh, then what ends up happening is Bruce Wayne introduces some robotized Batman robots and uh, he shows them off to the world. We then see Bruce Wayne, Batman, Dick Grayson, and Robin going through the city dump with Commissioner Gordon and they find some evidence where they can basically take down Mayor Hattie. In addition, Commissioner Gordon gets a little bit of a pin, which, uh, according to Bruce Wayne Batman, means he's part of Batman Incorporated. We then see Bruce Wayne tell Red Robin that he's going to be the head of Batman Incorporated's stealth team, which includes members of the Outsiders. We then see Bruce Wayne telling everybody, including the Outsiders, Dick Grayson, Damien, Tim Drake, Batgirl, Huntress, in the Batcave, along with a Oracle symbol image on the computer screen with a... It's Oracle's face, but it has a bat mask over it, telling them all that they're about to take out something called the Leviathan, and they're getting ready for war. Then we see Bruce Wayne talking with Dick and Damien about some kind of... uh, Conspiracy theories that have been going around. You know, some people are talking about how Bruce Wayne could be Batman. Uh, other people are saying Batman um, is a thousand other people and always has been. Other people are saying that Bruce Wayne's dead and Batman is actually Bruce Wayne now. A lot of different points that uh, lead to the discussion of that they need to talk about Leviathan. Then the immediate page cuts off and says, and that's it. That's as much as I know, so we know absolutely nothing even though now Dick and Damien do. Batman takes off, gets on a jet, talking to Alfred about uh, what to do as far as the war that's approaching. We then cut to a scene in France where Night Runner and Batman take out a uh, smuggling of children, and as it turns out, the children are covered in blood and were killing people inside this trailer, and they uh, sing nothing but Leviathan. Batman then talks to Oracle via the internet, of course, and uh, we find out that Cassandra Kane's new alias is Black Bat, Woo! which consists of her uh, Batgirl costume with a domino mask, similar to the old-style uh, Batwoman mask that we saw recently in Batman Incorporated number 4. In addition to that, um, Black Bat's taking out a number of things as she's the operative inside of Hong Kong. We see Batman teaming with Somebody that they did not reveal the name of, but he is going to be the Batman of Australia. We also see another appearance by the Batman of Africa. And another Batman called Wingman, and his alias, or his identity, has to remain a mystery no matter what. And the most important thing about this is that he actually knows the identity of Batman, as he says, Bruce. We then see Average Joes being taken out by the character that we know as Nero Nikto, which ends up being none other than translated to the Dark Knight. He takes out the Average Joes very easily and says, Welcome to Gotham, as he takes them out. We then see Dr. Decidulous, or Decidulous, whatever. Daedalus. Daedalus. Daedalus up in a satellite, looking down, talking to a white-cloaked person who has a black skull with their teeth exposed, talking about how they have been building their army 
and they have 500 agents ready to make the first attack. We then see the final page, which shows Batwing, which is the Batman of Africa, Nightrunner, the Batman of France, El Gacho, the Batman of Argentina, Black Bat, the Batman of Hong Kong, Red Robin, Bruce Wayne, the Batman of Australia, and a final Batman. And that is the end of Batman Incorporated number six. So Batman Incorporated number six, we definitely got some introductions of a bunch of new Batman from around the world. And further deduction has determined that some of these Batman have actually been in the comics prior to um, Batman Incorporated, especially with Batwing as he originally appeared in Detective Comics years and years ago. So it's interesting Morrison continues to pull things from Batman's history and incorporate it haha no pun intended into Batman Incorporated (laughs) one thing I do have to say is I was a little thrown off because at the very end of the book we saw that scene where Batman reveals himself as being Nero Nikito and he reveals himself as Batman and takes out these average jokes which was all great but the Bruce, but the the Batman that they showed to me did not appear as if it was Bruce Wayne. And then the last page reiterated those thoughts in my mind because the last page shows Batman all over the world at various points. I'm presuming the whole idea of this splash page is to get the point across that there's Batman all over the world taking out criminals at the same exact time, and we see the. And this could be a simple stake that maybe editorial didn't catch, or maybe it's not. But the very last page of the splash page, we see Red Robin, then we see Batman, who clearly has the Batman Incorporated symbol on his chest, which we know as Bruce Wayne, the Batman of Australia, and then the final Batman, which is another Batman. that does not look like Dick Grayson, looks actually much larger than Dick Grayson, and in my opinion, looks like the Dark Knight Returns Batman. I don't know if this was an error and that's supposed to be Bruce Wayne and the one that's fighting Clayface is supposed to be Dick Grayson and they just put the wrong symbol on Dick Grayson's chest. I don't know, but uh, I'm starting to think there might be something to that. See, that's what I think. I didn't interpret your recap or review, but uh, the one that's fighting Clayface looks like Dick Grayson except for the costume. And I think that the one in in the final scene knocking out that guy out the window, that seems like Bruce Wayne to me, but it, it does sort of resemble the Dark Knight Returns Batman. I don't know I don't know what to think. Yeah, I mean, the one fighting Clayface definitely looks like Dick Grayson with the sort of athleticism of it, and the um, it's quite a, a pose he's pulling, I'd say. Anyway, so that's something that we may have to think about into the future. Um, maybe that was just an error. Uh, maybe we'll figure it out in the coming months. But uh, I thought this issue was much better than some of the previous issues. For the most part, I knew exactly what was going on through the entire issue. Uh, Clearly, there's still a ton of things going on in the small amount of pages that happen in each one of these issues. But uh, that means it moves fast. I I read through this comic probably faster than any of the other comics we're reviewing today, and I think that's partly because of how fast and how much stuff is going on in this book. Leviathan is definitely turning into something that uh, is getting a lot of people excited and interested about. The idea of Red Robin leading the Outsiders, that's kind of a cool idea. Because, again, that kind of shows the progression of the character. Because we did see Nightwing in charge of the Outsiders at one point, too. 
Nightwing, Dick Grayson. At one point, he was in charge of the Outsiders, um, and now Red Robin's going to be in charge of them. So I do find that interesting. I also find it interesting that despite the fact that the Outsiders book is being canceled, they'll now be appearing in Batman Incorporated. I guess they got to appear somewhere. Um, I thought this was a good issue. Chris Burnham's art... I gotta say, I don't like when he draws people without the masks. Just the the profile face of Bruce Wayne on the second page. He did look really creepy in this issue. (laughs) Yeah. It just, it looks very odd to me. But he can draw everything else very well. That last splash page of all the Batman all over the world and all those different things, amazing art. The guy can do great stuff. Let's just keep him doing great stuff when they're in costume. Yeah. No complaints about this issue. Four and a half out of five batterings. This is my favorite issue of Batman Incorporated yet. And and before, and before everybody starts like pointing their fingers at me, it's not just because Cassandra Cain returns. It's just that like, this is what those series should be about. And in fact, it almost seems though, as though Batman has who he wants to have in Batman Incorporated, and they're moving forward from there. This is what I've been wanting to see, and this is, and this is what they're doing. It's, it was easy to follow. Mostly. Great art by Chris Burnham. All the characters are written very well. I love Morrison's Bruce Wayne. I, I think he's, he captures Batman's voice very well. Um, it, Justin mentioned how Bruce Wayne looked in this issue. He does look creepy, but also at the same time, I think it's telling that he smiles. I think Batman smiles the most out of this issue, more than I've ever seen Batman smile consecutively in a Batman, a modern-day Batman comic. And I think it's because everything is going according to plan. To quote the Joker. For now. Yeah, for now. Whoa. One thing I really thought was cool was the way he went on the internet and started, like, like posting on, under fake uh, account names. Stuff like, Bruce Wayne's Batman. No, you're wrong. Bruce Wayne's dead. Batman is uh, absorbed Bruce Wayne or whatever. Like, I loved, I thought that was a great idea. It's one of those ideas that is a modern technology sort of thing where, you know, you obviously this couldn't have been done, like, 15 years ago or whatever. But it was smart, and it was it was clever, and it was uh, it was uh, intelligent of Batman to go and do that. I thought that was a really good idea. I, I like how he's using Dick, Damien, and Tim. I like how he says that you know he and Tim are still partners, and that he's giving Tim a purpose. Um, <laughs> I love that we saw Cassandra back. I thought her costume was pretty interesting. That her cape almost looks like an alien. It almost looks like the Venom symbiote from the Spider-Man comics, and how tattered it was. I did really like the, her Marcus Toe costume back in Red Robin, but this one was interesting. And the name Black Bat's pretty cool, I must say. I thought the bit where we didn't know who that that Batman was that Batman was talking to, who knew his identity, I thought that was very cool. I thought I really loved the ending where he turns out to be like the guy he says, uh, who like you know like uh, Nero Nicto. I thought that was awesome, and especially says you should have stayed in Pennsylvania, Joe Average. We don't have a Batman in Pennsylvania. Welcome to Gotham. I thought that was awesome. The only thing, and this sort of goes back to what we said in Batman 710, is that the scene where the children are being found are found by Batman and Nightrunner, and they have killed everybody in the truck. Again, I mean, it's a little excessive. And I don't, I don't think we're the type of people who are trying to comment every time somebody's killed in an issue. But that was really, really gory. You see people's heads cut off. You see guts coming out of people's bodies. And that's, that's like one of the most goriest things I've ever seen in a Batman comic. But other than that... I mean, yeah, this is this is great. This is this is like the type of Grant Morrison stuff he was doing back, back in Batman and Robin, and this is what he's, this is what I love seeing him do now. So, I'm gonna give this five out of five batterings. I thought this was an excellent issue. I was actually confused by this, and not about what happened, just the placement of it. 
because it really felt like a first issue because it, it set loads of things up and sort of introduced characters and stuff. And like when you look at the solicitations, it was supposed to be a man of bat story. So I don't know what like where this came from or if it was planned or or if DC just said, look, no one's getting this. Just write something that will help us understand. Or <laughs> I don't know where it came from. But, I mean, I liked it. And I thought the average shows were great. They were really Grant Morrison. And yeah, apparently the Outsiders haven't broken up, making Didio's last two issues completely pointless. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Alfred should have beaten Bruce at chess when they're on the plane. <laughs> Even if... I mean, Alfred probably was the one who taught Bruce how to play, but I, I, I think Bruce should have been clever enough to not lose. It was quite funny when he lost. But um, I think you could tell, though, that Bruce is the one doing, like, writing on the forums because everyone on there was really literate and polite. Whereas when you look on normal forums, there's just a lot of people sort of with abbreviations and LOLs and misspelled things and a lot of swearing at other people for no reason. So it would have been interesting if we saw something like that, but it wouldn't really have added anything to the story. Um, I'm getting really intrigued by this Leviathan thing. It's really starting to build up now. And I think my favourite panel was actually the kids in the truck. Just because it was so weird. and oh, Except their smiles. <laughs> they were, they were wise. Eyes. So I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about Chris Burnham's art anymore. Because for the most part I like it. But then there are some really weird images in there. Like Bruce, for example. Like everyone's already said. It, just, it was really bizarre. Yeah, I, I mean, I did think that the last splash page was really good. And um, with, like, Return of Cassandra Kane, Black Bat, really. I mean, you've got Batman, Batgirl, Robin, Red Robin. Right, we need something Bat-related. What should we call her? Uh, Black Bat? Yeah, that'll do. That's fine. I, I think that was a bit ridiculous. But um, <laughs> who do you think this wingman character might be? Because he obviously knows Bruce's name. I thought it might be John Paul Valley, for some reason. I immediately thought of Azrael just because I thought, hmm, how could this be pulled into Azrael since everyone for some reason loves Azrael? And we have seen Azrael pop up in Morrison's stories in the past as well. But yeah, I definitely think it's going to be like uh, some kind of off thing. So it could end up being Sean Paul Valley, which would be a huge twist because he's supposed to be dead. Well, that was never, um, I mean, he's assumed to be dead. That was never definitively said. Well, also, like, who knows how Batman is Bruce Wayne besides apparently El Gacho and everybody else. But that was, I hope it's not somebody who you never heard of and, re- and is revealed to have always known Batman is Bruce Wayne. I hope it's somebody that we have not seen in a while. And I hope it's Azrael or uh, the original Azrael. I thought that would be pretty cool because I don't know who else it could be. What about, I mean, it depends on how Judd Winnick does it, but what if it's Jason Todd? Yeah. Uh, I don't know about that. Nah. Although when we get to Batman and Robin, you know, we will be talking about how nobody knows who Jason Todd is, but I don't know that it would be him. Not to mention that person, and it depends. Again, this depends on the art, but yeah. it also depends on you know. It looked like that person was slightly as big, if not larger, than Bruce Wayne too. Right. It could be Superman. <laughs> For some reason. Yeah, I don't think so. That'd be awful. Um, I think it would be stupid for them to use somebody from like from the outsiders that isn't part of the outsiders now. 
He's probably just Grant Morrison. <laughs> oh, he's on there before. That'll be awesome. He's gonna be the one that saves everybody. But uh, yeah, apart from a few little odd things, I thought this was a really good issue. So I'm gonna give this four and a half out of five batterings. All right. So that is going to give Batman Incorporated number six four and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Birds of Prey. <laughs> I know you are Bruce Wayne. Okay. Birds of Prey, issue 12, written by Gail Simone with new ongoing artist Zeus Saeed. And it takes us not two pages of the book before we see our first glimpse of a half-naked woman. So I think that's actually a new record. <laughs> but anyway, the issue opens up three weeks into the past with two women named Trissa and Somnia Lachess. Right, I've got to be careful what I say of this book. They're, they're trying to get work from Mr. Trike. So, um... They are former criminals, but they're not hired until they give some violent responses to a Rorschach test. And then we then jump to the question, who's about to go into the sewers before Huntress shows up. And I assume, although it's not clear, that we're back in the present. Um, so the question is on her way to interrupt a deal for Chilean drugs for Gotham weapons. Huntress decides to tag along, but Rene is unhappy as some of the dealers are cops. We then cut to the rest of the birds, undercover, who meet Mr. Tripe and enter his work building. And the birds split up. Lady Blackhawk distracts Mr. Tripe. Black Canary and Dove attempt to get down to the basement to find something, which, unless I missed it, you don't actually find out what it is. And Hawk stands guard. But back in the sewers, Huntress convinces Question to let her help, and she proceeds to interrupt the deal and take out most of the group but one cop is left conscious and asks Huntress to kill him. Back with the birds, the lights go off for Black Canary and Dove, and glow-in-the-dark paint flows all over the wall, saying pain over and over again. Uh, they also notice mutilated dolls hanging from the ceiling. Back in the sewers, the cop reveals some horror he's been put through before he cut back once again to Black Canary and Dove, who get into the basement, only to find a phone, a box and a notepad. This is interspersed with Huntress calling Oracle, despite saying she was dead earlier on in the issue, and telling her to get the birds out, in particular Black Canary. Mr. Tripe is also talking to Lady Blackhawk, setting up a big reveal at the end, where the lights go out once more, and Junior is standing behind Dove and Black Canary, holding two pairs of giant scissors. To be continued. Birds of Prey, number 12. I'm sure my co-hosts are not going to probably give this book as much uh, credit as I did, but I thought this was a much better written story as compared to what we've seen recently from Gail Simone. Specifically because this story, there was a lot of different elements going on. We had the Huntress and the Question working at one point. We had Oracle, obviously, at her home base. But then we had Black Canary and... Dove team up and they kind of split off. Hawk was doing his thing. This was like one of the first issues that we saw all of the characters kind of working together or not even necessarily working together, but all appearing and having a purpose within the story other than, hey, here I am. Hi, I'm waving at you. Because that's what we've had with some of these characters, especially with the Hawk and Dove character. They've played either comic relief or a relief of needing to put in a little bit of anger, I guess, is the best way to put it with Hawk. But 
they haven't really served a purpose. And this actually looked like they were all working together as a team to accomplish some goal. Now, ultimately, of course, as usual, they don't end up achieving the goal as they end up. It's a trap, and they're all going to get screwed in some way. In some way, but I did see one. Once I saw the dolls hanging from the ceiling, I realized it must have been Ragdoll that's involved in this. Uh, it is interesting because Ragdoll is appearing in Simone's other story, Secret Six, and we'll see what happens with that. I like this art. I like this art a lot better than the art we've had in previous issues because, to me, it's simplified, but it's detailed in, at the same point. When I say that, I mean he doesn't overtly go overboard with uh, accenting everything. Yes, all of these women clearly have larger chests. That's that's just something that they all have <laughs> because for some reason every woman inside the superhero community has a large chest. For some reason. He doesn't. He doesn't over accentuate what they have, you know. Yes, they were they weren't wearing their costumes, and obviously they could easily change when they're wearing their costumes. But for the most part, it was simplified. They got the point across that they needed to get across with the art, but it wasn't like over the top, and I I like that. So with him being the normal artist in the future, I'm, I'm looking really forward to that. So overall, I thought this issue was was pretty good. I definitely think it's been better than some of the last issues and i am interested to see where this is going and some of these other characters that they've introduced the sad part is that this is only a two issue arc if the stories aren't short arcs we get it's spread out too much over a long period of time so i think that might be the downfall of them not being able to do as much when there's more issues for story arc but, uh this issue was good so three and a half out of five betterings well, you know what? I I wasn't at, I didn't dislike this issue as much as I liked the last tons of issues <laughs> of this title. I mean, I didn't necessarily love it, but I didn't think it was exactly this bad. I actually thought that this issue was pretty much what I expected to see from Birds of Prey, like them kind of doing separate stuff towards the same goal. And I I kind of liked how it was working out. Like I liked how Huntress went with a question, how uh, Dove and Black Canary teamed up, how Oracle was doing. It. From the background, even though the Oracle's dead, not really. And I thought it was pretty straightforward. Some of the stuff I just, I'm just not sure. I I don't understand why why she writes the way she writes sometimes because it can be very. It feels forced a lot of times, like forced and set. And I don't want to say it's because she's a professional writer and I am not, but to me, it feels like some things, some things she writes, like, at the beginning where the two women are seeing, like, the Rorschach test, and they're saying, I see a woman's skull stomped after I've, after I stomped her brains out, I've seen a woman's entrails still seeming fresh from an evisceration. The way Gail Simone sort of, like, writes men and women in this, in this comic is very, it's, it's annoying, it's starting to become a little unsettling the way, because it seems like there's always somebody, some, somebody that's sexist, or has sexist tendencies in this book. And it's either played for last or it's played for, you know, oh, this person's evil. And it never seems real, or at least believable. It always seems like it's trying to be like, like trying to evoke emotion from the reader, Where, but it happens every issue. You can't evoke emotion because the emotion's always felt or always meant to be felt. I don't know where I'm going. I'm not sure if I'm fully explaining myself, but basically the dialogue, a lot of times the dialogue does seem forced. But I will say that the issue itself wasn't that bad. Um, I kind of like the ending, even though I'm not sure if we've seen this junior character before. I don't think we have. I, ho- I hope this character. I hope this character turns out to be 
somewhat of substance, unlike um, Mortis from Death of Oracle, which completely turned out to be a, a waste of time. But I'll, I'll give this issue three out of five batterings for what it's worth. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'm happy with the new artist. He's much better than the recent string of crap that we've had. And um, I, it actually reminded me a little of Yannick Paquette with that kind of block angular shading, if you can see that in there. And I, I quite liked it. But also, I think if you look at the first panel with Huntress in, I think the colorist really messed up because that kind of lower portion of, of her costume where it's supposed to be white, I think someone covered that flesh-colored. Whoops. The sun her belt, if you can see that. But, uh, yeah, I thought the story was interesting. I, I do know that Junior is an established character, although I don't know anything about her, apart from she's the, I think, daughter of Ragdoll. But uh, she sounds really creepy, and I think this, the question storyline was particularly good, as it kind of had a um, more substance to it with the, uh, the cop and his family being tortured and things like that. That was quite interesting. But then it is Gail Simone writing, so we still have loads of innuendos, which I don't mind if they're done well, but they're so thrust upon the reader. Like we have Half-Naked Woman, Lady Blackhawk, I think insinuates Mr. Trike for being gay, references to women's plumbing, and phrases like, I'm still game if you are. I mean, this whole book is like a massive that's what she said joke, except it's not funny. Dude, uh, for real. I think I'm actually, for the actual story and that side, I'm going to give it three and a half out of five batterings. So that is going to give Birds of Prey number 12, three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue, Red Robin number 23. What about the insecticide bat bomb? I left in the Batmobile. But we dare not open that door until all three of these flies are dead. Fortunately, I brought my all-purpose basketball. Red Robin number 23. Written by Fabian, illustrated by Marcus Toe. Oh, yes. This issue begins rather quickly. Red Robin, gave Tim Drake, or Tim Wayne, however you want it, tells uh, his foster parent, Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. the Batman, he's going to make reservations to Park Row for a new base of operations. After a little bit of time passes, he finds the nerve to ask how he feels about that, since that's obviously where his parents died. And Bruce says they will, he will bring Arden to the memory. Going on that, they two have a meeting where apparently black, a new black spider tried to assassinate Bruce Wayne. And Batman and Red Robin followed him and attacked him. He, got, he managed to get, a, get away and escape. So Red Robin had his uh, info Jack Lonnie Macon find out where he was headed. And um, he tracked his... Uh, Hotel entry to Montreal, which um, track led to a um, it led to a lead in Gotham City's Little Asia. Red Robin gets on gets over there, and he is uh, attacked by the leader of the Golden Dragons, which is Lynx. So she tosses him out of a window, and as the two are fi- falling, getting away from her uh, gangsters, she starts making out with him. <laughs> so he um, swings them alongside the city, and they continue to kiss and kiss until Red Robin says, "All right, that's enough." So these are definitely getting mixed signals, which confuses our little Red Robin. He comes up with a plan to try to figure out what these assassins want, because the information that Alani Making got is that there are a bunch of assassins. Like, Bruce Wayne was the first in a line of assassination hits, so they need to find out how exactly they can stop it. Red Robin meets at the daytime with uh, Commissioner Gordon, who really isn't very trusting of his methods, mainly because, A, he, 
Red Robin proposes to use Lucius Fox's bait for one of the assassins, and B, a uh, traffic light cam- camera caught him and Link's kissing. So I'm not sure if Gordon knows he's originally Robin, but he's not in very good graces with Gordon right now. Red Robin is, or isn't. Tim tells Dick about his plan and that he that he didn't inform Bruce nor Lucius about using him as bait. So they set up where they're going to try to uh, intercept the would-be assassin. While Lucius Fox is meeting with a Mr. Lau, uh, does the name sound familiar to anybody? They try, they try to cover all the bases where the assassin might hit. Unfortunately for them, they never covered the air, and as Lucius Fox is apparently shot to death by an assassin, both Batman and Red Robin look up in the air to see a hovering scarab. The scarab is different in that he is more muscular, he has managed proportions indicating he is a man, and that he is uh, on rocket boots. He's too far for, for Tim to go after, but Batman goes after him uh, using his cape to glide and uh, catch up to him. He manages to put a tracer on Scarab before losing him, but once Scarab was flying under sub-or- around suborbital, the uh, tracer froze. Without much options and with the, uh, the supposed death of Lucius Fox making headway, Dick decide- or Tim decides to get the original Scarab out of prison and have her try to find out where this scarab could come from. So they travel. Where did they go? They travel to Cairo um, via plane with Red Robin annoying her the entire way, just making fun of her name and his name, and just playing around with her, um, trying to force her to to find the the secret society of assassins. While they get under there, um, Scarab, whose real name apparently is Mat Shadid, um, springs a trap. A rather Ancient trap. It's literally a blade coming out of a, of a wall. And it leaves a chase for Red Robin to chase her down into a corridor. When Lonnie Macon comes up with some new information, Red Robin finds the real Scarab at the end of a corridor with a bunch of different variations on the Scarab. Lonnie Macon says that there are hits uh, after Malak Makalek, their light, one of the CEOs of Dominic Software, and that all these assassination hits have been carried out, but they now have switched orders to kill Red Robin, and that will be continued. All right, Red Robin number 23. Yes, uh, the first thing to mention, Mr. Lau, it's interesting how we keep seeing more and more references to the Dark Knights, Batman Begins, other Chris Nolan things. Did that have anything to do with the fact that we have a sequel to the Dark Knight coming out next year? I don't know. We'll see. Again, this issue, much better than the previous issues. I don't know that you could say that uh, you could get much worse than that crazy internet story, but definitely this is this is Fabian at his best. Writing a number of characters within the story, involving Tim with a number of different people in the story. That's, that's the good stuff. That's what we want to read. That's what we want Fabian to be doing, and that's what he is doing. I don't really have much to say other than that. Uh, the art by Marcus Toe is uh, good as usual, nothing uh, over the top, and we see uh, a possible relationship between Lynx kind of mature a little bit more with uh, Red Robin. We'll see what happens with that. I think the reality is, for some reason, everybody just finds Tim really attractive when Fabian's writing him. But uh, that being said, this Assassin's Tournament, I think, is going to be a really good story, and I think it's going to incorporate some of these other characters from a number of the other stories that Fabian has written over the past year or so, and it'll be interesting. So this one I'm going to give four out of five veterans. 
Now, this is what I'm talking about right here. This is the Red Robin I love reading. Marcus Toe is awesome, as always, and I love the fight scene with Batman and Scarab. I love the way he has him use his cape. It looks like he's just almost... He's not flying, but you can tell he's just using the the wind resistance to sort of, like, glide up to him and, like, uh, cushion his fall when once he loses him. Just excellent. It's always excellent artwork. It's never not. I, I like that they're continuing this whole Link subplot and what exactly does she mean to Tim and how does Tim feel about her. And um, I like that Tim's uh, way about going about things is starting to get him in trouble because he's starting to really test the people who he wants to trust him, like Bruce, Dick, and Gordon. And I, and I like the fact that we're seeing some little, a little bit of consequences, especially Tam, because uh, does anyone really, no one really thinks that Lucius Fox is dead. And I think it would probably be revealed, like, in the next issue, what they actually did. They would never actually have him die, obviously. But going alongside of that, I like how Tim was talking to Scarab really, really sarcastically. That's a lot more of, like, the, like the classic Tim, because he would be a real smart aleck when he wanted to be, and not just the, uh, the intelligent uh, sidekick. So that, that was really, really fun. And um, I, like, I like the ending where it had, like, a lot of really goofy Jeff Traps that ended up with him being surrounded by a bunch of scarabs. I mean, this, there's no reason not to like this book and not, not to pick up this book now. It's, it's really getting good. Five out of five batterings. Yeah, I like this as well. Definitely better than the internet story and yeah, better than the um, Asriel crossover as well. The art was consistent as usual. I mean, I do like the art. I don't see what everyone else seems to see in it, as in everyone else seems to always rave about it. And... I mean, I like it, but I don't think it's brilliant. But, I mean, at least it's consistent, and uh, it's, it's always as good as it is. So, I, I always like that about it. I like the, conf- the confrontation between Tim and Gordon, and that Gordon doesn't trust him as much as um, he could do, and because of the recent odd choices Tim has been making about bringing femme fatales out of prison and things like that. But, um, and I thought it was funny... Uh, you know, with Tim in the issue, just annoying Scarab on the flight. It shows he's having fun as being Red Robin, as well as being more mature, as we're seeing in Batman Inc. So, we're seeing lots of sides of Tim, but they all kind of work. I think they're making quite a well-rounded character, which shows obviously good. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I was a bit surprised they didn't say Lucius Fox was really alive in this issue. I assume he still is, but that that was a bit weird. I had to read that twice to fully understand that but um yeah i'm really looking forward to the next issue i think this is going to be really fun art so i'm going to give this four out of five batterings all right and over on the website suave star gave red robin four out of five batterings so that is going to give red robin number 23 four out of five batterings let's move into our next book batman gates of gotham number one This issue starts off with a little bit of flashback between Alan Wayne and two other gentlemen, all who are talking about a bridge being built in Gotham City. Now, this is taking place in 1881, and the first bridge is already being constructed, and this is uh, Alan Wayne's bridge, and the other two are being convinced by Alan Wayne that uh, Gotham City needs to surpass Metropolis and build skyscrapers. Now, skyscrapers at the time were completely unseen and nobody knew anything about them, but they figured, but according to their architect, he's figured out a way to actually get skyscrapers up into the sky. We then cut to present day where Batman is 
interrogating somebody by holding them off a building because a giant shipment of Semtex has gone missing. As it turns out, the Semtex is actually used as an explosion and the Trigate Bridge explodes. Dick Grayson talks to Red Robin over his comlink and finds out two other bridges in Gotham City also exploded at the same exact time. Dick tries to go down to the bridge and save as many people as he can, but unfortunately it's just too much that he can't get everybody. Um, he does save, manage to save some people and ends up talking with Commissioner Gordon afterwards, only to find out that you know there was plenty of people who died and uh, they're trying to figure out who could have any kind of claim on doing this horrific act. As it turns up, uh, Penguin is, comes into the light and they're saying, well, we need to talk to Penguin. So Dick jumps into the Batboat after talking to Red Robin, heads towards Penguin, shows up at Penguin's place, starts interrogating him, asking him what he knows. And Penguin essentially says, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't tell you anything, but the uh, guy who did it, he wears a really interesting suit. So Batman takes off. Uh, then we see Tim and Dick in the Batcave talking about the, uh, the event that occurred the night before and how the Gotham City News has plenty of coverage on it. We then see that Cassandra Kane is back and in the Bat Bunker. And Damian Wayne shows up as well. They start talking about um, basically the links between the bridges and Gotham's past and find out that the bridges were originally called the Gates of Gotham. After deciphering that each ancestor of a prominent Gotham family was in charge of each one, the Trigate Bridge was originally Alan Wayne's, the Cobblepot Bridge was originally... The Madison Street Bridge and the 22nd Street Bridge was originally the Elliot's Bridge. Uh, so then we see Batman contemplating what to do next, and then we see Arkham Asylum and Tommy Elliot getting a visit from this new character we haven't seen yet, who is wearing a very interesting suit, to say the least. And that's the end of the issue. Alright, Batman Gates of Gotham, number one. I thought this was... A very simple issue. There's a lot going on in some parts, and then in other parts, it's very smooth, very free-flowing. That being said, this did a good job of setting up the series. You know, we, we know that we're going to see things from the past. They're incorporating flashes of the past into events that are occurring, you know, currently. And obviously that has something to do with this guy in the interesting suit. It'll be interesting to see how the Waynes play into it and also who the fourth family of Gotham originally was since it was the Elliots, the Cobblepots, the Waynes, and this other family. Second appearance of the month, Cassandra Kane appears and not only appears, but it turns out it looks like she's going to be uh, setting up shop in the Bat Bunker for at least the duration of this miniseries. So, um, yeah. I thought the art by Trevor McCarthy, I love his art. I He might actually be slowly moving up to one of my favorite artists that does Batman. This guy needs to do more Batman art, in my opinion. All the detail is in the right spots, and yet, at the same time, it's very simple. I love this art. Yeah, great issue. Four and a half out of five bat ranks. This was a really good issue. I was really afraid I was going to get confused with this, with the whole uh, origins of Gotham families and everything, but it was pretty... Well told. Um, Trevor McCarthy's art was pretty cool. 
I liked it. But one thing I didn't like was there were a lot of reused panels. And I'm not sure if you really noticed this, but um, in the interrogation sequence, and especially with Batman and, and Gordon talking in that first page, you can tell that they just reuse panels for certain shots, and then it's like reverse like the size, like you know, one t- at one point, Batman and Gordon are talking. They're on our right side, facing left, and then on the bottom panels, they are on the left side, facing right. But they're the exact same drawings, and I just I don't like that. I kind of think that's really lazy. I, I just wish that wouldn't happen. Because the way he drew Batman's cowl was interesting because it looked a lot like Christian Bale's cowl in The Dark Knight. But I don't think that was intentional. I just thought that the way the art kind of turned out, I thought that was pretty cool to look at. Uh, Cassandra's appearance at the ends. I thought it was cool because, A, um, her relationship with Dick wasn't like it was the last time we saw it in the Batgirl Redemption miniseries, where Adam Beeson just really tore it down apart to just a really antagonistic and nasty relationship for no reason. So I love that they were really cordial and nice towards each other because they should be. There's no reason why they don't like each other. I mean, I'm not going to get into it, but I thought that was cool. Okay, B... Is it just me, or is Damien, like, checking her out in that in that page? I mean, he's, he's giving her a real stare, and then she has to turn around. I, I guess she was sort of, like, bending over when she was looking at the uh, the plans and stuff, but I thought that was rather interesting. And I thought it was really cool that Hush showed up at the end. I didn't really think I was going to see that coming. Now, obviously, they, they mentioned the Elliots and everything, but I liked how he was sort of being... He didn't break out or anything. He was sort of being taken up by this new character, so... uh I thought this was a pretty good first issue for this miniseries. Four out of five batterings. I'm completely opposite. I don't want any more hush. I'm so sick of Tommy Elliott at the moment. But um, I'm probably quite controversial with this one then because I didn't like Kevin McCarthy's art. I thought it was a really odd style where it's really line heavy and angular. But then there was that the colouring is very sort of in a painted style. And um yeah, and it was very busy, and I had, a, I had to look from a distance when I was reading it to sort of understand it. But I thought it was very cluttered, and I just, I didn't really like it. I do like how it's tying into continuity, and it says it's going to have a big effect on the Batman universe, and like I said earlier, I mean, that must mean that Flashpoint doesn't change that much. But um, I like that Damien was just still in his costume. It, it just sort of, even though he's just hanging around the bunker and stuff, but he's always ready. And, uh, yeah, I thought it could be interesting if he was checking out Cassandra Cain, but I can't see if that's going to mean anything or if it was just a bit of fun. But um, it's quite a slow start, but then I suppose it has to be because it's just I think it's just setting everything up. So hopefully I'm going to enjoy it more later on, and I want to like it. But I'm only going to give this three out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give Batman Gates of Gotham number one four out of five batterings let's move into our next book batman robin number 23 well did you come here to sightsee or fight batman robin number 23 written by judd winnick illustrated by gillian march and andre bresson uh we start off the issue with a flashback sequence with bruce wayne as batman dick grayson as nightwing in his very first costume and Jason Todd as Robin the Boy Wonder crashing through a window and stopping us from crying. Uh, in the caption boxes, we see a conversation between Batman and Nightwing on how Jason is, is uh, doing as Robin since he's very new at the job in terms of uh, the context of their conversation. And that Dick can immediately see that he has some rough edges, but they really hope that he's going to be a really good sidekick. And 
Bruce believes he will. Uh, that transitions into uh, Batman and Jason Todd having a conversation in his cell in Arkham Asylum. Where this this is Jason seeing Batman for the first time after he, he came back from the quote-unquote dead slash time uh, time stream during you know the whole Batman Reborn, Return of Bruce Wayne uh, sort of thing. So Jason wants to sort of make small talk and says that he never really did believe that Batman was dead. Uh, and he's sort of comparing how, how they kind of came out of their situations where Bruce just goes right to the business and says that, why are you trying to transfer from Markham into prison? You're in here for your safety. Jason says that he knows he's not a good person, but he does not want to stay in with the rest of Batman's heroes because he considers an, an insult to what he used to do and who he is now. Dick Grayson and Damian Wayne, who are Batman and Robin, obviously, says that he's in there because he's psychotic, he's crazy. And Batman says that, Batman Bruce Wayne says that he's obviously playing on something, but he, he's counting on the Batman and Robin of Gotham City to keep an eye on him. In uh, the Gotham City Corrections Facility, Jason is in, is in the shower with a bunch of other thugs, one called the Beaver, and um, he says, Ah, oh, I killed your brother. Well, I'm happy about it. And so he makes a lot of enemies there, but once the Beaver is uh, met by a friend who's trying to get him some illegal drugs, he is seen hung. Several people try to take out uh, Jason Todd in the, uh, in the uh, prison yards, but Jason Todd, being you know, a former Robin, knows how to fight and pretty much uh, dismantles them and has one killed. Stab in the eye. Again, very violent. People start dying around, around uh, the prisons, and we are assumed that Jason's responsible for it, though it was not conclusively stated. Batman and Robin are out uh, cleaning out crime around Gotham City, and through their interrogations, they learn that Jason is being transferred back to Arkham, and Batman panics at this because this obviously is some sort of plan from Jason. Though once we find out that he is on the, on the middle in the middle of transport, uh, the transport wagon, the paddy wagon, is attacked and all the guards are killed. We see <laughs> what can only be Lionel and the rest of the Thundercats, but not really, break Jason Todd out of prison, out, out of the paddy wagon, which uh, is a good concept to him, and that will be continued into. All right, Batman Robin number twenty-three. Again, another decent issue in my opinion. I think that uh, Judd Winnick is writing a Jason Todd story that uh, doesn't really have to screw with anything of the past. Uh, this is clearly set in current times and going into the future. This was an interesting story. I like the idea of uh, you know the fact that Jason Todd is you know he's he's still. Deep down inside, he's still wanting to fight crime, but he doesn't have any regrets about killing, which is the difference between him and the rest of the Bat family. So it's interesting that he gets transferred to a prison, and that's exactly what he does. He slowly starts taking criminals out one by one. And the best part was when you find out that uh, he poisoned the food, and he's got, you know, there's over 100 people dead, that, and there's you know, 300 sick. I mean, you know, we're supposed to root for the heroes, but this... this <laughs> I, th- I thought that was a great idea. Yes, the uh, the end scene with uh, the Thundercats approaching Jason Todd and telling them that they are going to save, or th- they're they're the ones that are breaking him out of prison. Yeah, I definitely thought Thundercats as soon as those people popped up. <laughs> Who knows what's going on there? I can't even imagine what what those characters are, how they're going to play into anything else. We'll just have to wait and see, but. Um, yeah, it, it was a good issue. I thought the art by Gillian March was, was pretty good, too. I think it worked for what, what needed to happen. It worked much better than what he was doing in Gotham City Sirens, that's for sure. 
So with that being said, I'm going to give this one four out of five batterings. There were a lot of good things going on in this issue. I like the fact that we saw the first meeting between Batman and Jason since Batman Returns. And I like the dialogue. I thought the dialogue was really, really good. I actually really liked how this issue started out. And there were there were a lot of nice little bits on uh, like how <laughs> how Jason says, "Come on, throw throw a dude a bone." Some, how about some small talk? How's Damien's mom doing? <laughs> Which <laughs> recalls that 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 insidious scene from the uh, Jason Todd Return miniseries. But as always, I really love Gillian March's art in this issue. So I was really disappointed to see that he didn't do the entire issue. And I really hope that he does the rest of the series. I forgot if he solicited to do the rest of the arc. Every time an artist becomes a superstar artist, he ends up not doing as much work. That just sucks. Again, this is another issue that's very, very violent. Some guy gets stabbed in the eye. We see somebody with a heroin needle sticking out of his arm. And we see some guy with his, his, uh, his um, wrist slash. Again, it's, it's a teen-rated comic book, but I suppose as, it's interesting because we're all doing a lot of these issues tonight. Really high marks. But they're also very violent. I'm not sure if that has any correlation with anything. But uh, there's not too much to say to this issue that I think overall that I liked it. I like the dialogue and the characterization of Jason for the most part. I do hope that it won't be just Jason Todd thinking how bad he is. Because, you know, he's a bad boy with his, his goatee and this, this evil smile. So um, I, hope it, I hope it does sort of progress. Instead of just reiterate, oh, Jason Todd was the bad Robin. But I did like how this issue was being written. So I'm giving this four out of five batterings. I didn't read the return of... Red Hood or Jason Todd or whatever it was called. But has uh, Jason Todd always been ginger? Yes. Well, he originally had to dye his hair when he became Robin. Right. Okay, then. So that's probably where Red Hood came from then. (laughs) Yeah, I am not the biggest fan of March's artwork. Uh, It was cleaner here than usual, but it's not really for me. I I thought the uh, interesting how... um, Jason makes all these deaths look like accidents and suicides, which um, plays into what Bruce said about, you know, by the time you notice something, it'll be too late. And, um, yeah, I I didn't know what was going on by the end of those people who freed him from the prison truck. I was just hoping that they weren't real villains. If they were, I was like, I, I don't really want those to be Batman villains. I didn't know what they were, what they were doing. It, that was just really bizarre. I'm not sure if they're, like, actual lions and dinosaurs or whatever or I'm not really looking forward to seeing those again it was it was okay not much happened basically he killed a lot of people to get out of the prison alright we've got two issues left so hopefully it will pick up but I'm only going to give this three out of five batterings alright so that is going to give Batman and Robin number 23 four out of five batterings let's move into our final book Superman Batman number 84 back up What do you mean, Batman missing? I thought you'd know. Don't all you spandex boys have club meetings or something? We're not exactly friends. Superman, Batman, issue 84. The epic conclusion of Sorcerer Kings, apparently. Written by Cullen Bunn with art by Criss Cross. I will do my best to summarize what happened in this, but I found it difficult to read. But, um... Before the Justice League go off to restore the proper timeline, Batman gives Superman a tuning fork that is tuned to Superman's correct timeline. So if they are to lose the battle, Superman can return home. On their way to the Wellspring, the Justice League are attacked by Firestorm, but Aquaman sacrifices himself so that the rest can go on to fight. 
the league somehow travelled to present time whilst a load of weird things are happening and there's just confusion for a few pages until a demon named Gargora is summoned. Superman dips his sword in the magical wellspring and defeats the demon by stabbing it through the head. However, everything is still the same as Superman uses the tuning fork to get to the correct timeline. Alright, Superman Batman 84. Again, Chris Cross's art is consistent with the previous issues. Honestly, I found the ending to this story arc a little bit discerning. It didn't. It seemed like everything was leading to something more than what actually happened. And don't really have a whole lot more than that. It's just, I really wish that something else would have happened other than the final conclusion that what's what we got. So for this one, I'm only going to give this one two and a half out of five batteries. Yeah, it was a little confusing, which kind of guts what I could say about this issue. I was I was really digging it, but this this kind of issue I think kind of like went back to like what I was sort of wary it could turn into be like a, this kind of confusing mess. And um, I did not like the fact that Superman forgot what he was seeing. I mean, I thought that I I, I don't like I don't, I don't like those kind of things. I didn't like it in Superman too, and I, I don't like it typically in modern fiction. That kind of annoyed me. I mean, it wasn't bad, but it was kind of a letdown from the last issue. I was really digging the last two issues. But I'll, I'll give this uh, middle of the road two and a half out of five battle rings. Yeah, I mean, I was I just got really confused as to what happened in this issue. And um, everyone forgets what happens, making it a pointless story and a pointless title. Etrigan, for some reason, wasn't talking in rhyme. Superman actually killed something. Which I, I mean, even though it was a demon, still thought that was a bit out of character. And from being interested at the start, I just didn't care by the end. So I'm going to give it a generous two out of five. Alright, so the final issue of that story arc, Superman Batman number 84, gets two and a half out of five veterans. That's all of our comic reviews. Hopefully you haven't fallen asleep by now. And uh, now we're going to throw over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners. Welcome back to another edition of Bat Books for Beginners. My name is Nick, and today I'm looking through a particular story that was published in Detective Comics. It regards the introduction of a character called The Spoiler. Uh, This is written by Chuck Dixon, who's a well-loved writer who contributed a lot to Batman comics in the 90s with the Robin series, the Nightwing series, Batgirl, Detective, Um, and he's a comic book writer with a lot of fans. Uh, the art's by Tom Lyle, who's worked on the Robin miniseries that I've reviewed, reviewed in the past, and he appears to be a regular collaborator with Dixon. And we've also got Scott Hanna here providing some artwork as well, who's done a lot of Marvel art. Um, and this story in particular covered Detective Issues 647, 648 and 649. It was published in 1992. So we're going to learn of a new character who's thrown into the fray. And this is one who will have a major effect on Batman and Robin in the future. So a new villain's in town called the Clue Master and he interrupts a gang meeting and arranges a business proposition for them. Batman and Robin resolve a hostage crisis and the news report covering the event is watched by a young blonde girl. Someone then sends a partial photograph to the police. Batman investigates this with many thinking that it is the Clue Master 
we then learn that it is in fact the, the young blonde girl, Stephanie Brown, who is sending these clues. New pieces arrive day by day and they resemble a picture. As Clue Master takes over the gang that he's involved with, we see a shadowy figure with a mask and cape dressed in purple watching on as the gang discuss their future crimes. Batman and Robin think they've tracked down the Clue Master who's tied up in a building, but a bomb goes off destroying that building. We then learn that it was a dummy and that the Clue Master hopes the cops and Batman think he's dead. Batman, of course, isn't so sure. Robin, meanwhile, manages to trace and track the spoiler down. This is the purple-dressed vigilante that I mentioned earlier. And we learn that she is Stephanie Brown. Robin learns a bit about her, and uh, she joins Robin and Batman. She tells them what her father is planning as the Clue Master. And Batman demands that she does not join them because she's not ready. But she sneaks off and follows them anyway. Batman and Robin arrive at the big robbery that Clue Master is uh, in the process of overseeing. And they do their best to stop it, but Clue Master is just on his way out via helicopter, something Batman didn't foresee. Suddenly, Spoiler arrives, fights him, delays him, but is then held hostage by Clue Master, who orders Batman to back off or he's going to kill her. Batman tells him it's his daughter and he's shocked. Steph overpowers him and he's handed over to the police. So I thought it was interesting to see that the first time that Tim Drake ever met Stephanie Brown, she hit him with a brick. Um, I thought it was an interesting introduction for the two characters who, of course, in the future are going to have big impacts on each other's lives. Um, There was a funny moment where Alfred had a bit of a go at Tim for being overpowered by a girl. I thought that was very amusing. One thing that confused me a bit was surely if Spoiler really wanted to stop the Clue Master, there was an easier way. Um... She could have just told the police or Batman what was going on. I gather that she didn't want to reveal herself to her father, but it happened anyway, so I thought that was a bit odd. I've also finally learnt why she was called the Spoiler. Um, I've known of the Spoiler for years and never quite knew why she was called that, so I was very happy to find out that information. Uh, There was a very funny line where Batman says, What do you call yourself? She said, The Spoiler. And he just said... I like that. I thought that was quite funny. And it's these good lines, these good character moments with old characters and new characters like Stephanie. I think that's what Dixon is best at. That's where he's on form. And I think he does very well in this little story. I thought Tim Drake felt a little bit different in this story. He was a bit more like uh, the classical Robin with some of the puns and and the, the lines he was coming out with. And to me, it felt a bit immature for Tim Drake um, and not quite like what I expected of him. So I thought it was a little bit odd. Um, I mentioned last time in the last book I reviewed that Penguin was portrayed as being very intellectual and enjoying that match of minds with Batman, which I thought was very close to the Riddler and I wasn't too keen on it. In this book, the Clue Master is even closer to the Riddler, I feel. And even in the same, you know, the style of his crimes is similar. The only difference is that he is eager to earn some money or cash out of his plans as opposed to the Riddler, who's not too fussed about that. I'm not that keen on the Clue Master simply because he's just a little bit too close to the Riddler for my liking. 
Um, one guy, one thug, got gunned down brutally by the cops after nearly killing Robin, who was joking around a bit too much, as I mentioned earlier. I thought it was pretty severe, pretty brutal, but maybe taught him a lesson about maybe a little bit less joking, a bit more action. I thought it was quite an abrupt ending to the story. I wanted to see some more reaction from uh, the Clue Master on discovering that Steph was the spoiler, and also with Steph dealing with her father. I thought Steph was a good character who is going very strong in the books at the moment, and I thought this was a very good introduction for her. And she had a very interesting dilemma to deal with as, as a character regarding her criminal father and struggling mother. So, all in all, I thought this was an entertaining story, but lacked an edge to make it an outstanding story. So, I'll be giving it 3.5 out of 5 Bandarangs. So that was the introduction of the spoiler. Um, next one we're going to be looking at a story called The Last Arkham. And Jeremiah Arkham, nephew of Amadeus Arkham, decides he wants to rebuild the asylum. And he revamps the building for modern criminals. However, he has one new unusual patient, Batman. Find out why Batman is in there next time. I've been Nick, and now I'll send you back to Dustin and the guys. See ya. Alright, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you're picking up the next set of books for the next episode. Now, let's get into Bat Book Delays. What do we've got, Joe? Bat Book Delays. Well, Paul Dini is already back to his usual self as Batman Arkham City Issue 2 is delayed from the 25th of May to the 8th of June. <laughs> but, you know, at least it's still going to be written by him. Or, you know, that's what it says. And uh, The Dark Knight will return in August, but uh, strangely only issue 5, and there is no sign of issue 4. But uh, there's also a delay to issue 3 from the 15th of June to the 22nd. I mean, there's still time for issue 4, but that it will probably replace issue 5, and then issue 5 will once again drop off and disappear for a few months. But... I think that's it for Batbook Delays. Alright, so let's go over what we will be covering next time on the podcast. We have not nearly as many books as we had this episode. I really hope that at some point uh, DC figures out a way to even these out, or we might just have to take it upon ourselves to figure out how to even it out as well. But as of right now, next episode we have Detective Comics number 877, Gotham City Sirens number 23, and Batman Beyond number six. So the next episode, we will be talking a lot more about uh, Flashpoint. That will be our discussion. We'll be talking about the first issue of Flashpoint, as well as the Flashpoint Batman Night of Vengeance miniseries. It's still up in the air as whether or not we'll be covering the issue on the podcast itself, considering uh, we not do Batman Blackest Night when that was occurring. But, hey, we're always up for suggestions, so shoot us an email, let us know if you want us to cover it, and actually give it an actual review, and treat it like a normal bad book. 
Otherwise, it will be discussed in our Flashpoint discussion in the next episode. We'll be talking about the big reveal at the end of Flashpoint number one, which if you haven't read it, well, it's been some time, so we're going to tell you anyway, but uh, Batman in Flashpoint is actually Thomas Wayne. So, lots of stuff going on. On top of that, I am pleased to announce that the uh, new website should be live by the time this episode posts, so you can take a look at the new website. In addition to that, the one thing that we made sure that you, the listeners, had was we made sure we fixed the comic podcast feed, and you should now be able to download all the previous episodes in iTunes as well as it actually being fixed. In addition to that, you can listen to the episode right there on the website. You can listen to it even on your phone as well uh, by going to the website and clicking on the link there. So, a lot of new things for the website. In addition to that, you can always join the forums, become a member, shoot us an email, let us know that you're becoming a member so we can make sure we activate your account in a timely manner. We have thousands of spam bots that uh, hit the forums every single month, and it's nearly impossible to try to sift through who's real and who's not. So we are coming to the end of May, so we will be doing the uh, forum spam bot cleanup, which consists of anybody who wasn't activated at the end of May being deleted because we did not hear from them asking them to activate their account. So be sure to shoot us an email. You can always email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net with any questions, comments, or concerns. Also, one of the newer features on the new version of the site is you can leave comments straight on the uh, post of the podcast itself. So even if you don't join the forums, you can still leave comments for the podcast. You can always leave us a review on iTunes. And, of course, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We are updating Twitter throughout the day by retweeting some of the big news that's happening around the Batman universe. So, with that being said, that's the end of this episode. This is Dustin. This is Donovan. And this is Joe. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. And I'm sorry for my poor jokes. Where is it again? On the, uh, I think it's just like probably third or fourth page, but the first time you see Huntress. <laughs> oh no! Oh man! <laughs> All right, we'll have to edit that part out, but that's uh, it is quite interesting. That's a good double take from me. <laughs> Okay. Only in uh, Rosa Prey, I swear to God. But has uh, Jason Todd always been ginger? Yes. Well, he originally had to dye his hair when he became Robin. Right. Okay. Then. So that's probably where Red Hood came from then. Well, that yeah, that more or less. Besides the Joker thing, yeah. Uh, I was making a joke. But, uh, oh, sorry. He's <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, edit Donald's laugh in after what I said, and that will work. <laughs> there we go. Batman in Flashpoint is actually Thomas Wayne. So... Really? <laughs> I did not know that. Are you serious? I, did, I really didn't know that. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I'll never sleep again. Now it's cool. Anyway. 